Hey, yo, everyone. This is Deidre with another episode of Weird Animal Facts. Explicit. So you'll notice that word was explicit. And in case you don't know, explicit means it is for an adult audience. Now, even though this show is called Weird Animal Facts, just because we talk about animals does not mean it's okay for kids because animals live very secret and adult-themed lives. In fact, according to Charles Darwin, he thinks animals are only alive so they can fuck and reproduce. And you can't reproduce without fucking. And in case you haven't noticed, I will say fuck every now and then. Now, Weird Animal Facts is a show dedicated to the weird, gross, odd, and oftentimes disturbing facts about animals. So, like I said, my name is Deidre, and I work as a zookeeper by day and do this by night. And neither really pays the bills. Now, if you enjoyed last week's episode, we talked about the black bear and the woma python. This week, we are mixing up a little bit by talking about two different species that also have some very weird facts about them. As they should, since the show is called Weird Animal Facts. So, the animals in discussion today will be the rhinoceros hornbill and the seahorse. And as always, and when I say as always, as in last episode, I will also attempt to pronounce their scientific names. Now, uh, if you did not listen to last episode, you're in for a treat, because even though I do do public speaking for a living, I'm in the ambassador animal team at the zoo, that means I get to do shows and talk to kids all day. Uh, there's a script there, and I work really hard to say things correctly. Also, since I'm talking to kids, I don't have to say really fancy words like scientific names. So, this is not only educating for me, but also educating for you and uh, empowering, because not everyone can read very well, apparently, as I've learned. Just do your best, even if it sounds like shit. Let's go ahead and get started with our very first animal of today. The rhinoceros hornbill. The one bird that most resembles fruit. With a beak as though Chiquita Banana herself bestowed this majestic bird the honor of wearing what appears to be an upside-down banana on top of its beak. I'm Chiquita Banana and I've come to say Bananas have to ripen in a certain way And when they're flecked with brown and have a golden hue Bananas taste the best and are the best for you Hailing from the island regions of Indonesia, Thailand, and Malaysia, this weird-looking bird has more than just a phallic-shaped beak to be proud of. But since we're already talking about it, let's make like a preteen hitting puberty and investigate. The rhinoceros hornbill is a large black bird that appears to be wearing white trousers while in flight. With a wingspan large enough to knock a toddler to its ass, this bird is the real deal. The tail is long and white, and it has a black line running vertically across the white tail feathers. The beak itself is large, but... What characterizes the rhinoceros hornbill from other hornbills is the uh, prominent extra feature that sits on top of its beak. That horn, or banana, or penis-shaped extra thing on top of the hornbill's beak is actually called a cask. And just like human penises, the cask varies in shape, angle, and size depending on the individual. However, if you ever come across a man with a red, golden, yellow, hollow penis, it might not be a man at all. But... A rhinoceros hornbill! 
And now since I've painted that unusual picture, I should also add that you should never find yourself in such a situation because wild animals do not like you as much as you think they do. I like you as a friend. Also, bestiality is against the law in many states, but not all states, oddly enough. And it's also very much frowned upon. But what is the purpose for the rhinoceros hornbill to have such a big cask? I mean, isn't it heavy? Nope. Here's why. Birds fly. Well, at least the bird in question does, and if everything about them was heavy, they wouldn't be able to get off the ground. And hornbills wouldn't even be able to lift their head up. So that's when good old Mother Nature steps in and voila! Everything about flighted birds helped them to become nice and lightweight. They have feathers. Feathers weigh less than fur. Their bones are oftentimes described as hollow, and that beak is no different. It is made out of the same stuff that herbal essence Yes! Yes! adds to their shampoo to make your hair shiny and strong. Keratin. And yes, the rhinoceros hornbill's bill is going to be heavier than other hornbill species' bills, and hornbill's bills can be heavier than other birds' bills. I really think I should have used a different word instead of bill. Maybe beak. Okay, let's try that again. The rhinoceros hornbill's beak is going to be heavier than other hornbill species' beaks. And hornbill's beaks can be heavier than other birds' beaks. Yeah, I don't know if that was any less confusing. But basically, all I'm trying to say is that the rhinoceros hornbill's beak will weigh more than other birds' beaks. Even though the beaks are pretty much hollow, I mean, it's kind of like comparing the weight of a banana to a plantain, even though they're both pretty much bananas, they're just different species. Get it? We're talking about mass, weight, and size. It's like physics. Science rules. What makes the hornbills unique is a mutation they have that no other bird has, and it gives them a wing up. Now, when humans get this little mutation, um, it actually causes us lots of back pain. Ow, my back! Fused vertebrae! The hornbills, and only hornbills, their first and second vertebrae are fused together. Scientists believe this is to help support the weight of their beak, or bill, or whatever you want to call it. Also, their neck muscles are so thick, it will make any linebacker jealous. 24, 23, hike, hike, hike! But why? What is the point of the cask? I mean, it looks really cool. I mean, what more do you need? If I was a female hornbill, I would tap that just for the shape and size alone. However, though, here is your actual answer as to the point of the cask. So, the hollow of the cask will help to resonate sound. Working like a megaphone when catcalling potential spouses. Or establishing territory against fellow banana-faced birds. Now, as weird as all that is, it's not the weirdest thing about the rhinoceros hornbill. In my opinion, it's their maternity leave. Whereas us Americans are lucky to receive the amount of time needed to raise a newborn, hornbills get plenty. However, though, I would describe the upbringing of their young similar to that of the 1950s American housewife. Locked inside your suburban home with your unpredictable child, longingly awaiting the return of your husband, where he literally brings home the bacon. But instead of living in that cookie-cutter house, you are nestled inside a tree hollow encased with, not doors or plywood, but mud and feces. But don't worry, you can still look outside through a small opening. I mean, it's not big enough for you to fit through, of course, but just large enough for your monogamous spouse to slip in your meals which happens to be in smoothie form. Only instead of the use of a blender, it's 
regurgitation. <laughs> so I guess it's more like Shawshank Redemption than I Love Lucy. Mm. After the mother's 90-day sentence, she busts out of that mud and poop-covered cell only for her and Mr. Hornbill to seal their tree hollow back up again, leaving little baby bird locked inside for an additional 40 days. But don't worry, they come back occasionally to feed the little tyke. Fun fact! Some hornbill species will use the same tiny little food hole, you know, where they pass the food from in that little tiny window, as a shithole. Backing their little cloaca up and plop. Once the chicks hatch, it might take them a little while to master this shitting technique. So until then, Mama Hornbill will pick up their shit with the same beak she feeds them with and drop that shit out of the food slash shitting window. So there you have it. Malaysia's national bird, the rhinoceros hornbill. And now it's time for a segment we call Scientific Names Are Hard. Where you get to laugh at me instead of with me. <laughs> Alright, this is the part of the show where I attempt to pronounce the scientific name because I have a hard time saying things that are not English. So, this is how it works. I ask my roommate to write down the scientific name on a paper that I do not look at until this very moment, and I try to pronounce it. Sometimes I'm really good because, you know, sometimes it's easy, you know, like Canis lupus or something, but we'll see what the rhinoceros hornbill's scientific name is. So, envelope please! Ugh, great. Bucero rhinoceros. I think that's right. Bucero rhinoceros. Bucero rhinoceros. I think the key is to just say it with confidence and then no one can question it. Aside from the fact that I just admitted to that, all that stuff of not being able to do. However, though, I think that was a pretty good take. So, there you are. The rhinoceros hornbill or Bucero rhinoceros. Awesome. It's the transition song From going to one topic to the next It's the transition song So that we have no awkward silence The seahorse The chameleon of the sea And that, just like the chameleon of the land Or just chameleon They are cold-blooded have two eyes that can move independently of each other, prehensile tails, and they both have chromatophores. And that word, that I'm pretty sure I am pronouncing correctly, is chromatophores. Now, when I think of chromatophores, I think of Lady Gaga's 2020 album release of Chromatica. All the colors. Chromatophores are pigments in the skin that contain light-reflecting cells. It's basically what gives the animal their color. And get this. Only ectotherms have chromatophores. That's why animals like some frogs, chameleons, squid, seahorse, cuttlefish, etc., etc., can change color. However, where the seahorse is similar to the chameleon in these four ways, there are still very many differences. If you don't know what a seahorse is or looks like, buckle up, because here it comes. Seahorses are fish. Like, like they are actual fish. Not like how some people claim a whale's a fish just because it lives in the ocean, because whales are not fish. They are mammals. So you may be wondering, what makes a fish a fish? And what makes a seahorse a fish? Well, spoiler alert, it's the same thing, since they're fish. I guess seahorses are just a bit more glamorous than other fish. Glamorous, glamorous. 
the qualifications to be a fish are as followed. The first rule of fish club, fish club, fish You live in the water. Second rule of fish club, fish club, fish club. You use your fins to move in the water. Third rule of fish club, fish club, fish club. You use gills to breathe in the water. Fourth rule of fish club, fish club, fish club. You must be cold-blooded. And finally, the fifth rule of fish club, fish club, fish club. You have a swim bladder. Keep in mind that just like how the platypus and echidna break the rules when it comes to being in the mammal club, there are some fish out there who do not follow the fish club guidelines in full. The seahorse is not one of those fish. They are good pledges. They follow the rules. The seahorse looks like a sugar candy molded from a child's imagination. Imagination! And it's about the right size for it, too. Species range between a little over a half an inch to over a foot long. Their head looks like a giraffe fucked a unicorn. And its nose resembles that of the extra long wand that comes with your vacuum. They have tiny, cute little fins that look invisible to the naked eye because they are super thin and nearly always moving. There's a longer dorsal fin where you would think their ass would be, and even tinier pectoral fins on either side of their head that looks like Fighting Nemo's special fin. And now, since we have the proper image of the seahorse, I am sure many of you listening to this podcast are probably wondering what Arnold Schwarzenegger film best represents the seahorse. Long before he was the governor of California, but after the original Terminator, there were a few years in the late 80s and early 90s where Arnold Schwarzenegger took a swing at comedy. And if you are as familiar with Arnold Schwarzenegger's IMDb page as I am, you will remember a certain film entitled Junior. Starring opposite award-winning actress Emma Thompson and Danny DeVito, Junior is about a research scientist that develops a drug that is intended to reduce miscarriages in pregnant women. Being unable to find a pregnant volunteer to test the unapproved drug, Arnold himself becomes the first ever pregnant man. If only it was that easy, Arnold. So yes, the film Rot Tomatoes gave a score of only 36% is quite possibly the best Arnold Schwarzenegger film that best represents the seahorse. If you do not see the connection between this Oscar-nominated film and The Seahorse, then you probably live under a rock. Because one very weird and unique characteristic of The Seahorse is that, just like Arnold in the movie Junior, the males carry the young. And yes, Junior was nominated for an Academy Award. Best Original Song. Called Look What Love Has Done. Unfortunately, they easily lost to Elton John's Can You Feel the Love Tonight? obviously. But let's dive a little deeper into how and why the male seahorse is the one to carry the young. I I would like to also say that I recognize that in today's society, gender can be fluid for some individuals, meaning if today you're a woman and tomorrow you identify as a man and the next day you're non-binary and or pangender, that's great. You be you. But when it comes to animals who can't express their gender identity as easily as we can, we turn to biology and have it tell us. For the seahorse, we know it's the males who carry the babies, because he got the sperm. Male seahorses also have a pouch, similar to a kangaroo, on the belly called a brood pouch. And although the pouch is similar to a kangaroo, the actual growth and birthing of the babies is much more similar to that of us. 
Now, I feel like I shouldn't have to explain sex right now, but let's at least explain seahorse sex, because it's pretty rad and uh, a bit backwards, I suppose? If you and your significant other want to strengthen your bond, then look no further for an example than that of the seahorse. This fish is the ultimate example of what it means to love. Coming together every morning to dance under the rising sun, they will interlock their tails just as humans interlock their hands as that sweet melody plays for them. Or so I assume. Then, to create even more sexual tension, they shall examine one another while in their dancing embrace. Similar to how human women ask, is it big enough? Or men wondering if the cactus length of their hair down there is going to rub them the wrong way. Once accepting of the other's attributes, the female will deposit her egg via a penis-equivalent protrusion from the bottom of her torso. After that, she leaves the male seahorse so that his sperm can get to work and fertilize her eggs, giving a new meaning to Mr. Mom. Once the sex and fertilization is over, the male then goes through the energy-exerting process of creating life. Or lives. Like up to 2,000 lives. Before the babies are born, but after the gestation period, is where we start to see some of the human-like similarities. When an unborn human baby is ready to be born, the mother's body will experience pain. Or, as the doctor calls it, muscular contractions. We'll call it pain. Male seahorses go through the same thing, only they don't have a loved one there to hold their hand. But they do have always dependable seagrass they can squeeze onto with their tail to help them get through it. Once it's time for the up to 2,000 babies to arrive, the actual birth looks a little different than that of a human birth. And how I would describe it would be like an assortment of a of a man jizzing, a sneeze, and a t-shirt cannon with confetti everywhere! Yeah! Party like it's 1999! And get this. The male can get pregnant again within the same day of giving birth. What a horrible cycle. Especially considering only like 1% of the young survive into adulthood. Now it's time for the segment you all love, and I really hate, called... Scientific Names Are Hard. However, this one's not. Hippocampus. Yeah, that one I got very quickly. As I was researching stuff about this, that word popped up and I was like, I can read this? What up, motherfuckers? So, uh, to make it a little more exciting, I did ask my roommate, Emily, to give me a list of species to read, since there are 47 of them. So, it's gonna be Hippocampus... Something ridiculous that I probably cannot pronounce. So, here we go. Alright, now it's time to read the scientific names. So, my roommate Emily has given me this bowl, and inside, as you can hear, are pieces of paper of six or seven, I don't know, scientific names of the seahorse written down. And I'm going to attempt to read them all. First envelope, or piece of paper, so envelope. <clears throat> okay, so this is Hippocampus Lichtensteini. Lichtensteini, yeah. By the way, this is the Lichten, Lich, Lichtenstein is seahorse. Yeah, that's like that's how you say it. Yeah. Okay. Next, this is the Bullneck seahorse. <laughs> I can read this one. Hippocampus Minotaur. Easy. Next, 
Okay, um, this seahorse's name is the same as a scientific name. So Hippocampus Jayakan. Jayakari? It's confusing because in the scientific name, I think this might be misspelled. There's a dot above the N or R because in the real name, it's Jayakar. Jayakars? Cars. Oh, it belongs to Jayakars. There's an apostrophe there. Anyways, moving on. This is the Pygmy Seahorse. Hippocampus Barjibanti. 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 Get really good at this. This is the Fisher Seahorse. Ha, another easy one. Or I'm just getting better. Hippocampus Fishery. With an I at the end. Ooh, final one. This is the Queensland Seahorse. Oh, there's a lot of S's in this one. Hippocampus Spinosismus. Spin. Spinosismus. 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 Yeah, we'll go with that. There you are. These scientific names of various seahorses. I think I have improved. Also, feel free to leave reviews and stuff like that. And also let me know if the scientific name segment is stupid. Um, my roommate really likes it. I think she just likes to make me suffer sometimes. But that's okay. Now, if you want to find out more and see some fun pictures and other things relating to today's episode and other episodes in the past and future, check out our Instagram page at WAF Podcast. WAF stands for Weird Animal Facts which I think hopefully you know by now because this is the second episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, I'm currently working on getting a patron page up and running. So if you really like this and you want to sound better, or if you just, you know, love me so much because you're my mom, want to give me more money, uh, you can donate through that. Um, we don't have all the detail for that just yet, but once we do, it will be listed in uh, the description details of these podcasts. It will also be on the Instagram page. Stay tuned, because I like doing this, I like sharing facts, and I hope you guys enjoy them, even if they are a little weird, but it wouldn't be weird if it was on the show. So, again, this is Deidre, signing off. Stay weird. <laughs>